0: Welcome back to Unaborted with Seth Gruber today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We have been on the road a lot, and we are uh, about to build a new studio. And so we've kind of just been churning different kinds of episodes as I've been on the road or connecting with Culture Warrior friends around the country, and we had a really amazing Instagram live conversation the other day with my friends Brittany Mayer, Carrie Bowler, and Melissa O'Connor of The Battle Cry, which who you need to follow on Instagram, by the way, The Battle Cry, and these folks are cut from the same cloth as me and us here at the White Rose Resistance, and we took a, uh, we dived into the shallow end, let's say, of the culture of death, the sexual revolution, the seeds of the sex ed movement and the pedophilic fringes of the liberal establishment and where that all came from and how that explains kind of where we're at today. So we we talked about Alfred Kinsey. We talked about the Sexuality Information Education Council of the United States. We talked about the UN uh, being the precursor to Planned Parenthood's SICUS, which is the most oldest organization behind all of the kooky pornographic sex that that parents are finding in their kids' public schools all around America. All of this goes back a long ways. And then we dive into the church and the need for the Bride of Christ to start waking up before it's too late. Enjoy this conversation. Please share it widely with your pastors. Everyone commenting on Instagram Live said this was a fire hose. This was stuff they had never heard before. And that's the problem, isn't it? That uh, we don't know how we got here, and so we're fumbling and bumbling, and we don't know how to turn this American experiment around. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.
1: Seth, again, this is Seth Gruber from the White Rose uh, Resistance, and um, he is an amazing friend and warrior brother. A lot of times we say at the end of the world, it's probably going to be us, and Seth's still standing, <laughs> and some others too, but um, he's the real deal, and we love him and are Amen. so grateful for you to sit down with us. So Seth, why don't you just give us like a quick 30-second who you are and, um, and what you're doing, and then we'll go into all the meat and potatoes.
0: I think so, yeah. I've been a pro-life activist since I was a fetus. My mother was the director of a pregnancy resource center while pregnant with me in Azusa, California, down the street from APU. And so if it's her body, her choice, and if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, so therefore all parts of the baby are part of the mother. Therefore, all babies my mother saved while the director of a pregnancy center I saved. Went to Whittier High School. I did uh, my senior project on abortion, saw aborted baby images at 18 years old. Changed my life, knew it was my calling, went to Westmount College in Santa Barbara, a fake Christian college you should never send your children to that has pro-abortion professors on payroll and faculty. I exposed them for hiring pro-abortion professors and not taking a pro-life position, graduated in 2014, started doing full-time pro-life speaking. actually met Carrie and her awesome, uh, her awesome husband, Kyle, shortly after when I was a little bit, a little nobody <laughs> who couldn't even get into a church. Um, and then uh, left to start my own organization about a year ago. And we launched the White Rose Resistance publicly love- right after the overturning of the Yes, White. So We're,
2: We're you all um, on this educational journey together. And a lot of us are, yeah, yeah. At, at various points yep. in the spectrum but as we've recently come to learn about.
0: The gender spectrum, the gender spectrum. Come on, on, use inclusive language. Exactly,
2: I need my points, my CEI points. Um, So like Britt just said, (laughs) we're super curious to hear from you how the gender cults and the history of Kenzie Offered Money and Hugh Hefner and then Psychus and Margaret Sanger Ties yeah. into Planned Parenthood and even the origins before that. Yeah. So just l- yeah. let it rip. Yeah,
0: it all goes together. It all goes together. Um, so I we don't have time to do to frame the timbers appropriately. So I'm going to yeah. do as like as many powerful flashpoints as I can. Um, but I want to give a teaser to everyone listening right now before um, we finish with an invitation to hear me to, for you to hear me tomorrow night at San Diego State University. But the teaser is we have a four part. Um, It's almost like a mini doc but it's a podcast um a four-part podcast coming out in may um each part will be like 45 minutes long or something crazy um and it's with a woman who's 90 years old named claire chambers who i flew across the country to sit down with for two and a half hours and she wrote this book and she published it in 77 it's called the sika circle a humanist revolution i spent like a hundred bucks on this to get used on Amazon, they're hard to find. She started studying in 1970. So she spent 70 years, uh, seven years uh, researching to write this book. She was raising little ones. She was in, in her early 30s when she started researching. Wow. So she mm-hmm. started researching before wow. Roby Wade, before 73. It took seven years to do it, published it in 77. First book of its kind at that time to connect all of the humanist dots organizations high priests of humanism all the organizations all sharing board members all citing one another as scientific experts they were just following the science um mm-hmm. if you go down this rabbit hole it's disgusting now i've been studying this stuff for years actually but the last year i've, I've really increased my like i've been aware of, of kinsey and Alfred. Uh, Alfred Kinsey and John Money and Wardell Pomeroy and Mary Calderon mm-hmm. and a lot of those people for actually some years now. But I, 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 went, I threw my whole body down the rabbit hole about the last year. Um, this stuff, it, it can be described yeah. as nothing other than red pilling. And yet most conservatives I meet who love the Lord and actually know a bit of their history, mm-hmm. look at me and go, huh? They have no idea. So um, we're gonna do probably another White Rose Resistance live tour. Um, Mm -hmm. on all new content, probably next fall or spring, I would see uh, to to do to do all of this, to connect all the pieces. So before we do, Abe Lincoln, right, good old honest Abe, he put this powerfully. He said, when we see a lot of framed timbers, different portions of which um, have been brought out at different times and places and by different workmen. Let's call them Stephen Franklin, Roger and James. And when we see these timbers framed together, join together and they exactly make the frame of a house, a mill, all the tenons and mortises exactly fitting and all the lengths and proportions of different pieces exactly adapted to their respective places and not a piece too many or too few. In such a case, we find it impossible not to believe that Stephen and Franklin and Roger and James all understood one another from the beginning Mm. and all worked upon a common plan or draft that was drawn up before the Mm. first brick was struck. In other words, when you see the intentionality of a political movement or a house or an institution, and it just seems too perfectly aligned. Maybe you should go, oh, maybe it wasn't a coincidence. And maybe there was actually like conversations going on Uh, Behind the scenes, maybe there were different colonels on different battlefronts in the culture world, but they all had walkie-talkies, and they were all communicating the same time and reporting to the same general with different colonels tasked on different battlefronts, but with the singular goal working upon a common blueprint that was drawn Mm. up before the first sword was drawn. When you study the history of humanism, let's call it, guys, okay, you can call it Neo-Malthusianism, you can call it Bill Gatesism, you can call it Darwinism, secular progressivism, it's all the same freaking thing, and you see the intentional alignments that there are, it's not a coincidence. Okay, so where could we even start? Because we only have, what, 20 minutes left, and like I said, you guys are going to go bonkers over this two-and-a-half-hour podcast we've got coming out in May. Um, and mm-hmm. so uh, you guys can share that when it comes out. But the beginning of the sex ed movement, as we know it today, actually goes back to the United Nations itself. So SICUS, the Sexuality Information Education Council of the United States, which was started by Planned Parenthood's medical director, Mary Calderon, who leaves Planned Parenthood in 1964 to found Sikis with seed money from Hugh Hefner and other millionaires and billionaires like the Rockefeller Foundation. And one of her first board members was named Wardell Pomeroy, um, who would later be the executive director of the Institute for mm-hmm. Sex Research at Indiana University, that, that renamed Kinsey the Kinsey Institute, Institute Alfred, uh, after, mm-hmm. yeah, after that demon passed away. It was renamed after him. But so you got, you got one of the board members of Sikis also, later, the executive of yep. McKinsey Institute. So, already there's your first little flashpoint I've done for you the connection between the pedophilic, mm-hmm. follow the science expertise and the very organization that would sort of politicize and and, um, and um, institutionalize that mm-hmm. science into the sex ed movement as we know it today. So, there, there's one little flashpoint there. But, but SECUS doesn't the sex ed movement comprehensive sexuality education doesn't actually start with SECUS, it actually starts with the United Nations. And so, um, right, shocker, right? As what did we find out two days ago that the United Nations is pushing to decriminalize yep. sex yeah. between children and adults? Yeah. Oh, uh, this, uh, by the
2: way, yeah. This, this yeah. Instagram
0: Live isn't this yes. providential timing? But so so we're we're going to trace this back to the United Nations right now when two days ago they just proved there what I'm about to say that mm. bad right. a bitter and- harvest and so they're still reaping that bitter harvest. And we're going to go back Amen. to the bad and stuff we, right now. We've been
1: looking problem. at, um, you know, Kinsey and money and Kinseyism. And one of the things that um, shocked us is really like that's where <laughs> that's you see right. like the change of the American landscape, you know, in terms of what we view as normal. Yeah. And oh, the yeah. thing that, was that he was goal. pushing was yeah. absolutely pedophilia. That was what he the data collection was all based on abusive children and pedophilia. And then you have money oh, come yeah. in and he actually yeah. starts trying the thoughts of Kinsey and putting like medicalizing it um but it was always it was always about this yeah, trans yep. age it wasn't just transgender it was um it was a whole end goal that now we're seeing the yeah, un today right. lo and behold pick up so go ahead and that's take right. us there yes. what where
2: where
0: that's does this right. come from framing mm-hmm. framing the timbers ladies framing the timbers <laughs> that's what we're doing right okay so um g brought chisholm was the former head of the World Health Organization. Most people don't know that name because this goes back to like the 40s and 50s. Uh, G. Brock Hisholm, uh, who was leading the World Health Organization, really participated early on in laying the foundation for what we today call sex ed or comprehensive sexuality education. And he laid that foundation with Mm. Julian Huxley. Uh, Now, Julian Huxley... Um, led the UNESCO, United Nations Ethical Society Cultural Organization, U-N-E-S-C-O, United Nations Ethical Society Cultural Organization, UNESCO, okay? And and uh, Julian Huxley was a rabid eugenicist, okay, a, a rabid uh, uh, sexual deviant. And he, here's – this is interesting, right? You go back to Bad Seed, Bitter Harvest, right? Julian Huxley's brother is Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World, <laughs> okay? Now, wait for it. Wait for it. you guys ready for this? their grandfather was thomas huxley okay now l- listen get ready for this the one of the first adherents to darwin's theory of evolution and and julian and elvis huxley's grandpapa thomas huxley was so influential in modernizing and institutionalizing darwin's ideas into the evolutionist darwin movement that he was referred in the public by hmm. the nickname darwin's bulldog cuz he was like a bulldog for the movement right. so yes of course because might makes right survival of the fittest right we're just like animals and so just like animals you should indulge every sexual appetite and desire that you have whatever you have it you start seeing all of this goes back to darwinism neo-malthusianism and ultimately <laughs> the the detaching christianity to replace a, a christianity with the religion of humanism so he was called a bull darwin's bulldog whose grandson is leading UNESCO, okay? Who, with Julian Huxley, with the director of the World Health Organization, G. Brock Chisholm, lays the first kind of early seeds of comprehensive sexuality education. So G. Brock Chisholm was invited to DC by way of invitation by the communist Alger Hiss, which you, everyone should know that name, um, to, to give three lectures on sex ed in DC. And there, Chisholm advocated for starting sex ed as early as the fourth grade, OK, and he quote, here's what he said, he said, quote, um, he, he insisted on er- the oh. eradication of the way of the elders, which is which is just another way of saying, like, yeah, the, that old Judeo-Christian yeah. worldview, the, those old fundamentalists that believe human beings have dignity and the sanctity of life. And he also called for, quote, the eradication mm-hmm. of the concept of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice this about all of the people behind the sex ed movement. They were all mm-hmm. Darwinists and relativists, right? Um, And and so the the belief was that the right or wrongness of an action was not gauged in the action itself, the right or wrongness of an act was only Mm -hmm. gauged to the degree that it brought pleasure and joy, or pain and regret. So, hence, what's the the central phrase of the sexual revolution? Yep, right. If it feels good, do it. (laughs) <laughs> so so this is some of the early seeds of all of this, OK? And so, so that's really sorry, where Seth, it starts. And then sorry, what Mary y- Taller- What year was that go when ahead, he was invited ahead. to DC? Yeah, that was in. Uh, so uh, right before. That's where we, she- we yes. really saw. Yes.
2: yes. all of this. Right. And he's touring
0: so writing, the legislature. Right when he's publishing. Yes. Sexuality, in the, sexuality in the Human Male. Can you that's tell right, us his name you guys again, know exactly. Yeah. Uh, the, well, the director of the World Health this, Organization this was the G guy that's traveling in the 40s um, comes to DC.
2: Okay.
0: Well, he was invited. He, yeah, he was laying the foundation of sex ed with Julian Huxley, who led UNESCO, but he was invited by his communist friend Alger Hiss to come to DC and give three lectures on advocating for sex and starting in the fourth grade. Okay, so Then Mary Calderon, the name that you know, Mm because she's the founder of Seekus, right? And that's why my friend Claire Chambers, her book's literally called The Seekus Circle, okay? Uh, And and just just as a five-minute flashpoint here, Seekus is the first organization of its kind. So when you get health-connected team talk, and all of these other branches that are, are the organizations today writing the kooky pornographic sex ed, yeah. they're all branches off of the tree of Seekus, okay? Uh, whose roots are all the humanist revolution, okay? But yeah. but Seekus really kind of stands out as this trunk um, uh, and, and one of the more significant organizations to spawn during and out of the sexual revolution. So so Calderon, Mary Calderon goes to a, um, a symposium on sex education in Europe. Um, in 64, months, months before SICUS was founded, y'all, she goes to this symposium on sex education sponsored by, sponsored by UNESCO, the United Nations Ethical Society Cultural Organization, who was at that time being led by Julian Huxley. Okay. So, um, and, and there uh, you have the Swedish delegates that show up to this, this symposium on sex education sponsored by the United Nations Ethical Society Cultural Organization. Now, this is significant because Sweden has always led the way internationally in early humanist rock and bull, uh <laughs> things. So um, uh, in 1938, Sweden became the first free nation in Christendom to revert to pre-Christian abortion legislation and to institutionalize Planned Parenthood sex education wow. and family limitation wow. programs. Wow. 1938, ladies. So Sweden has always led the way in cultural decay internationally. So the reason I'm saying yeah. that is I'm saying it shouldn't surprise us, okay, that, um, that, 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 that the Swedish delegates at the UNESCO sponsored symposium on sex education come with a blueprint for what SICUS, or sorry, sorry, for what, for what sex ed should look like internationally. Months later, when Mary Calderon found Secus, the blueprint the mission, the vision, and the deliverables are almost a direct copy paste from the Swedish delegates blueprint for sex ed that they brought oh. to the symposium on sex education months before she found CIS. So the United Nations was kind of mm-hmm. leading the way with a lot of this stuff before the organization that we kind of look to today as the as the major organization behind all of this pornographic kooky sex ed in the schools is even founded. Okay? So So now we're starting to frame the timbers a little bit here. Now, Mary Calderon, now this is really, really fascinating, right? Mary Calderon's husband um, is Frank Calderon, okay? Frank Calderon. And um, at the time, just prior to her founding SICUS, Frank Calderon is serving as none other than the chief administrator for G. Brock Chisholm, the director of the World Health Organization, who had gone to DC to deliver some of the first lectures that politically and publicly advocated for starting sex ed in the fourth grade and calling for the eradication of the way of the elders. Mary Calderon, the founder of Seekus, her freaking husband, is working as the chief administrator for G. Brock Chisholm of the World Health wow. Organization. So this is just like, like I said, we don't have time to go down the yes. rabbit hole, but I'm just trying to frame some of these lumber pieces and timbers for your listeners. So you can kind of see how far back this kind of yeah. Thing so Seth, does that help? Yeah. I can keep. Going. I can go for another hour. Well, I, want to I, I have go. a question <laughs> about like,
2: you know, you, you see this all collide in this moment so much further back than we would have thought. And would you would you right. ever agree that we lost World War II and it just looked different in like a worldwide infiltration into America. And we're, n- we're not actually a free country, because that's what we're seeing from 2020 on, we-, we can see it now. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, so what she's, she's asking is something we've discussed with, um, we see so much like specifically with Kinsey, right, and he has his Nazi pedophile that he's sourcing all of right. these horrific war crimes um against children and he's sourcing that and he's calling it data and then america is embracing it and we see so much of the nazi infiltration into our sex education and really reforming like america as we know it like changing the whole landscape so the question is you know we, we say like we won you know world war ii but did we really or does it just look different now
0: oh right right totally yeah you know that's well said well, I mean, you know, what is, <clears throat> what, what do we say about liberty? Liberty is the, is the wise restraints that make men free, right? Liberty is not the freedom to do whatever you want. It's the freedom to do as you ought. Um, but ought, ought implies a moral framework. Ought mm-hmm. implies objective reality, objective truth. Uh, because if you ought to do something, that also means are mm-hmm. things you ought not to do. And all of those things imply a, objectivism, an objective moral framework of reality where it, Through our faculties of reason, we can actually know what is good and false and what is true and beautiful, what is evil and good. Um, And so all of this very early on was an early proxy war, um, kind of against the very religion that provided that moral framework to keep man free in the first place. So yeah, I guess what I would say to your question, uh, Alyssa, is that things happen gradually then suddenly, just like bankruptcy. (laughs) And so, you know, when a guy goes bankrupt, it's like, oh, how did this happen? like, well, uh, brother, there was probably a series of decisions you were making for some time that led to said bankruptcy. I think that there has been a series of decisions that have been making us less and less free for many, many, many decades. And then in the last few years, we're kind of watching that unfold on the scene in a major way. But everything was already brewing under the surface yeah, of the American It looks like we never really decades. got rid of I don't know if that helps. You know, <laughs> like
1: that. The, the let's talk about the spiritual realm for a second. Just yeah. the, what we saw with Nazi, uh, the rise of the Reich. Um, Sophie uh, is who your organization is named after. She was just an incredible human who stood up against um, what Hitler was doing and called it for what it was. And she was executed because of that. Um, She was the righteous resistance of that time. But when we are studying and looking at where America went wrong in terms of uh, the gender ideology cult now coming in and just claiming so much territory in America and what you're saying, like it's slow, but then it's sudden. Where we're looking at drag right. queens spreading their legs right. in front of babies, and that's supposed to be normal, and like little kids getting, <laughs> you know, body parts mutilated. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it looks like there's a spiritual mm-hmm. entity behind it, and it's that same spiritual demon, the the demonic that was at play in Germany. So it's almost like we won the war, and then we embraced. That, that yeah. darkness over here. and yeah. just brought it over to America and enter Alfred Kinsey and John Money That's and Hugh Hefner right. and Planned Parenthood. And it's like, well, did we ever even win or did we just bring the demon over here to America? So why don't you catch That's us right. from yeah, the point yeah. of you have yeah. Mary Calderon. She goes to the symposium in Europe. She hears from the Swedes that it's cool to kick Christ out and to be post-Christian and let's like get on this whole sexual liberation movement. And then Mm -hmm. we're in about the 40s over here, right? No, that was 64 that she goes over there. So we already have Alfred Kinsey who's published his book, which is causing waves because all the broken men have come back from war and they're looking for a drug. And he's like, hey, you can like have lots of sex and there's no objective right or wrong. Um, then you yep. have money saying, hey, and if you still feel really bad, like we can cut you up and turn you into whatever gender you want to be. And there's something called trans age, too. Yep. Um, kind of ca- from that point forward, what do we yep. see in terms of the connection yep. between the abortion machine and the gender ideology cult? Is it connected or are they totally separate?
0: So we actually have to go a few more thousand feet higher than that, actually. Um, one of the things you guys have noticed about the liberal establishment is how they all seem to be on the same team of the population mm-hmm. reduction movement, population limitation, right? There's too many people on planet Earth, you know, and so Mother Guy is very angry, right? The sun god, he's pissed, you know, so you got to sterilize people or you got to kill them. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're going to pay the pe- the penalty. And so, you know, one example of this is uh, Paul Ehrlich, who wrote the book The Population Bomb in, I believe, 1964 or 65. It's, it's 63 or 64. And uh, which isn't that interesting, right? Very similar time that Seekers gets founded. Paul Ehrlich writes The Population Bomb. And he claims that if we don't significantly curve and reduce the world population, within 10 years, we'll have, we'll have worldwide starvation. Um, and so, so he's repeating Thomas Malthus's uh, lies from the late 1700s and early 1800s. Um, by the year I was born, 1991, the world population had doubled from the time he wrote that book. Malnutrition was at an all-time low, and we were the fattest wow. generation in American history. So, follow the science, follow the science. It's like I feel like the princess <laughs> bride. Like I don't think that word means what you think it means. But the reason I said that is because Paul Ehrlich. Guess what? South mm. of Planned Parenthood. And, uh, and Planned Parenthood President Alan Guttmacher, uh, who was the president of Planned Parenthood in the early 60s, and when Roe v. Wade came down, uh, attended international conferences on the population limitation movement. president of Planned Parenthood before Roe is going overseas to Europe to attend these we gotta curb overpopulation. So, like, the abortion industry has always been in bed with these people. So now, wait, I know, I, I know, I wasn't as narrow of an answer you were looking yeah. for, but it's because I actually had to take us about twenty thousand feet higher in the in the political landscape. And so, in nineteen sixty-seven, three years after Secus is founded, they, there's an international conference of the International Planned Parenthood Federation. Um, and this is sixty-seven. So this is this is hosted by the International Planned Parenthood Federation. Okay, IPPF. Okay, sixty-seven. And at this conference, British psychiatrist GM Casters says this. This is fascinating. Oh, and this was quoted in the UNESCO Quarterly in 68, the United Nations Ethical Society of Cultural Organization. Here's what he said. When because of increasing overpopulation, the standards of living actually decline at the very time when people's aspirations have been raised, raised, the stage is set for further outbreaks of collective irrationality and violence, right? If, if you don't give us all your political rights to solve the sun god and overpopulation, wow. then there's gonna be massive worldwide chaos. Uh, it, is, it is imperative that we recognize the gravity of this threat, he says. Remember, again, this is being said at a Planned Parenthood conference, guys, because man, mankind today possesses weapons of such destructive power that the world cannot afford to risk outbreaks of mass violence. And yet the lesson of history points to just such a disaster, unless population control can be achieved, end quote. Now, pause, listen, listen. So here's the question, friends. How would Planned Parenthood and the humanist revolutionaries of the 1950s and 1960s, how would they prevent such an impending disaster that's looming over us? Well, one of the co-founders of Seekus, Lester Kirkendall, would one time say the quiet part out loud and give away the entire Freaking agenda and goal. I, by the way, I don't, aren't you so grateful for when the left does this when they say the quiet part out loud? Like the most recent example was when Jane Fonda was yeah. like, "Yeah, maybe we should murder pro-life politicians." And the other host on the View was like, "Don't say that. They're going to cut that up and take it out of context." Right? So, so Lester Kirkendall did this in uh, in sixty five. Now, listen, Lester, who was who the who the frick was Lester Kirkendall? Okay. Um, he was one of the co-founders, like it was guys, it wasn't just Mary Calderon. That's what you have to understand when it was founded. It's not like she founded yeah. it and then immediately yeah. like called up her friends yes. and board members. There were multiple men who were actually co-founders at the time that it was actually, that the articles of incorporation were submitted. Okay, so Lester Kirkendall was one of those men. And the reason I'm gonna just do a brief little uh, expose on him is for this reason, my dear friends. He is one of the more significant figures to have spawned out of the sexual revolution. When you go down this rabbit hole, it's like Kirkendall, 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 Lester Kirkendall, Lester Kirkendall. You're like, who the hell is this dude? Like his name keeps popping up everywhere. He's like on everyone's board. He's like, a, he's a funder and financier of like this organization and then this organization. You're like, who the hell is Lester Kirkendall? Okay, so that's why we have to do this. So he represented the field of quote, family life education at the founding of Seekus. Guys, family life education was just a phrase that was used um, in the early 50s to, to describe um, the early seeds of sexuality education, okay? It was like it was like the state hmm. and school should <laughs> be tasked with family life education, not the parents. So that's not a good phrase, okay? Um, and he was also active in Planned Parenthood. In 1966, Lesser Kirkendall assumed dictatorship of the American Humanist Association, the American Humanist Association, that has said as wow. one of the oh. the eradication of God, which is always hilarious because these, have you noticed about these... Uh, <laughs> about these, I'm sorry, I'm getting on my soapbox. I'm getting too, having, having too much fun here. Have you noticed about these people, they're always like, God doesn't yeah. really hate him. It's like, dude, it's like, man, liberalism yeah. does really weird things to the brain. So, um, so that's the American Humanist Association, right? Which is dedicated mm-hmm. to the eradication of God from the universe. In 1977, he served in dual capacity as a board member of AHA, the American Humanist Association, and, and on the editorial board, of the of the American Humanist Association's official wow. voice, mm. the Humanist Magazine. The Humanist Magazine, guys, published people like Alger Hiss, Roger Baldwin, the co-founder of the ACLU, who was at those early gatherings filled with wine and sex with Margaret Sanger in Greenwich Village, New York in the early 1900s. Roger Baldwin was there. And, and, and from that movement spawned a lot of those revolutionaries. Lester Kirkendall co-authored a book with identified communist Isidore Rubin also wow. one of the board wow. members of SICUS, <laughs> he He co-wrote a book with Isidore Rubin entitled, ready for this, Sex in the Adolescent Years, New Directors in Guiding and Teaching Youth. <laughs> so Kirkendall's like co-authoring these earlier bro- books about right, how to sexual life children. And he served on the staff of, a, of, of, of the periodical magazine, yeah. Sexology, Sexology. I'm almost done here. And Sexology um, had other board members
1: Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Such as
0: John Money, Wardell Pomeroy, and Isidore Rubin. And he's listed as a financial contributor to the Temple of Understanding, which gets to the occult. We don't have time for that right now. And Lester Kirkendall was also a board member of Oregon State's Planned Parenthood organization. Okay, so so what did Lester Kirkendall say out loud? What was the quiet part he said out loud? Remember, what are we asking right now? Mm -hmm. How are they going to stop this overpopulation sun god from wiping out the earth? Lester Kirkendall would say, none other, my dear friends, than sex said is the linchpin upon which the d- population limitation movement wow. swings. That's wow. my paraphrase. Let me quote him for you. Okay, so here, here is, uh, is Kirkendall, Lester Kirkendall, um, writing in, this was, the year just slipped me, this was in 68, I believe. Here's what he says. We demonstrated that effective contraceptive methods and in the long run population control were linked closely with physiological knowledge about sex, a capacity for free discussion and attitudes towards sex roles and sex itself. Listen, here it comes. Sex education is thus clearly tied in a socially significant way to family planning and population limitation policy. Mm -hmm. So this is not some lower lackey of the sexual revolutionaries and high priests of humanism. Lester Perkendall is one of the architects of the sexual revolution and co-founder of Seekus, who said, we realized in our study that to bring about the population limitation movement, the worldwide reduction of the world's population, All of this was clearly tied to more liberal ideas about sex. So how do we make sense of this? Because population control is best achieved when people Mm -hmm. willingly participate, right? If they willingly participate through the widespread use of birth control. But birth control necessarily assumes more liberal ideas about sex and those more liberal ideas are planted in the minds of young children very early through comprehensive sexuality education Sikhist style okay so here's
1: my question right the that you've got one idea here saying sun god's going to like we're all we're all going to die we need population control oh no what are we going to do because all these sweet american families right. are in general living under the christian ethic christian morality They're populating the earth, be fruitful and multiply. Mm -hmm. What are we gonna do because population control? And then on the other hand, you have the sexual revolution stepping in and saying like, have all the sex you want, enjoy it. Um, Hugh Hefner is famous for saying fornicate early fornicate often and fornicate What was the third fornicate early, often, (laughs) with everyone, something like that. Um, so you've got two opposing, really like they're, there's, they're in opposition of each other because you have one saying we need population control. We have the other saying like, have all the sex you want. Well, we know what happens when you have sex. So give us the bridge. How do you bridge those two ideologies, which you're saying are connected Then Mm -hmm. how, how are they connected and not in opposition?
0: Yeah, so here's 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 something that, that I think a lot of um, a lot of conservatives are not really aware of about these high priests of humanism, um, and, and that is this: um, the birth control contraception movement um, was never birthed with the intention of providing a bulletproof way to plan your parenthood. It was always used as a way to encourage Mm -hmm. sexual chaos and to break down sexual and societal mores. The reason I'm saying that is because a lot of conservatives, I think struggle with the same uh, fork in the road, uh, seemingly contradictory, uh, culture war routes that you just laid out by saying, well, aren't those dual visions? Um, no, because I'm not convinced that these people intended for birth control and mm-hmm. contraception to actually work. I think it was a cash cow to sell things they knew wouldn't work in the first place to, to promise the fruits of the sexual revolution, which is mm-hmm. orgasms without responsibility. But knowing full well, that said birth control and contraception would Uh not work in the long run very well anyways. Therefore, the culture could fall back onto the birth control linchpin, Mm. abortion. So they profit on the front end with contraception that will inevitably fail, and that encourages sexual chaos. And they profit on the back end because when it does inevitably fail, they can then also profit off of abortion itself and they're still limiting the population. Because if the birth control doesn't prevent the limit, the the population growth, then killing the baby will, and causing such sexual chaos and planting those early seeds in the minds of Americans, which is what, that we have the right to orgasms without responsibility. That's what contraception convinced us of, right? It ripped sex from its procreative telos Mm -hmm. and put the culture of death on steroids. So when you don't consent to pregnancy, then, Oh, just yeah. You, if you don't consent to pregnancy because you're on birth control, then gosh dang it, I have a right to wow. make difficult life problems just yeah. go away. And that if that difficult life problem is a person, a baby, then so be it. Because Margaret Sanger told me in 1915, "No gods and no masters," which was just a repetition of the serpent in Genesis three. Which Whitaker Chambers, in his book Witness, the former communist, would say all of the communist revolution actually kind of was based on mm-hmm. that first lie in the garden which was that ye shall be as gods. And this is why Francis Schaeffer said, humanism is placing man at the center of all things mm-hmm. and making him the measure of all things. So in other words, to, to give a long-winded answer, which I love key, it. I'm sorry, Brittany, to your question, it, yeah. was always just chaos. Yeah. it was always just chaos. Because for them, it, it wasn't contradictory. And, and I have some, we have an Instagram post, if you guys go through go my Instagram, where we cite a lot of Planned Parenthood people uh, back from the 80s and 70s, actually uh, logging and citing how much birth control failed. Um, uh, and today, because whats today to, what do they say today that um, Planned parenters always claim that their birth control programs are designed to prevent the need for abortion, right Because they argue that contraceptive services lower unwanted pregnancy rates. But really when you start looking at this stuff, it actually just raised them because, because when women get on birth control early and they stay on it for like a decade or more, it is actually guaranteed mm-hmm. that they will eventually get pregnant. And now once they do, they've been conditioned mentally and politically and culturally to believe that they have the right to orgasms without responsibility. They've been dehumanizing themselves through, through, mm-hmm. um, through multiple partner sex. And now it's easy to dehumanize the child whose only fault is being, is coming into existence. So anyways, I think that's the a answer great there,
1: answer. And really it's like the large scale, what you see is like, if, if, because let's, let's look at this in terms of like ideologies. You have America that's built on family, right? Like when they send over the boys and the families on the Mayflower and you start chopping down trees, they literally started sending over women for the men who came over here doing the manual labor because they knew there was a need as the foundation of a nation to have family. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if you twist gender to where everything's the same and sex is meaningless because just whatever feels good, then you've actually torn apart the whole structure of family, which is Marxist in, in nature. It's saying that the family unit, these ideas that are uh, Judeo Christian, are no, they're archaic, they're no longer needed. And now you have the spiritual realm being open because you've kicked out Jesus and the origin of truth. And in that, the enemy comes to, you know, steal, kill, and destroy. So, of course, you're going to see complete destruction of the innocence and murder rates Mm -hmm. and murder being abortion, right? So on a bigger scale, you're seeing like a complete rewriting and rewiring of America. It's it's bigger than abortion as an
0: isolated thing. Oh, and by the way, most of these people, most of these people, involved with the sexual revolution and with the sex ed movement and the abortion movement, most of them were either communists or they had multiple links to communist front organizations. Um, and, and that's always fascinating, too. It kind of goes to show you how these people were all working together. But let me just bolster Brittany's point. Let me just prove to you, everyone listening how true what she just said was. OK, because because uh, I like to do that, because here's the facts behind behind Britney's fire. So Isidore Rubin, who, again, I told you, co-wrote that book with Lester Kirkendall about sexualizing children, right? Uh, What do you call it? Like Mm -hmm. um, uh, adolescent sex. Um, Isidore Rubin, a a identified communist, once quoted uh, a Sikhist recommended author so Seekus. So what you got to understand about Seekus is that they started mm-hmm. publishing Seekus study guides within a few months of founding. In their first four years, they rolled out, the, they called them Seekus study guides. And guys, what this is, all you need to know about this is that was the precursor oh. to sensitivity training. That was the pre- precursor to sensitivity training right when you role play these scenarios in the classrooms right it's pure discussion but they're talking about Mm -hmm. the most like sexually inappropriate titillating conversations Mm -hmm. right it's a way to break down inhibitions so that ideas that were previously not entertained as sort of socially acceptable are are now actually are now actually uh masqueraded as just the norm, right? Because these people's belief is that there was no sexual taboos. There was no kind of sexual activity that was immoral, right? Right? <clears throat> Why? Because there is no morality. There is no objective truth structure. And so Isidore Rubin, one of the co founders, gosh dang it, of CIS, quotes one of their recommended authors, because they would publish curriculum for schools early on to be used. So they had their recommended scientific authors. And one of those authors was named Judson Landis. Judson Landis. And here is Sikis co-founder Isidore Rubin quoting Judson Lanson. Okay, listen to this. When acts are no longer forbidden to all, when the individual is authorized to decide whether or not violation will be advantageous, the moral code vanishes. The moral code vanishes. Um, And then you had Rubin writing in Sikis study guide number 10. So again, this is the same communist and Sikis board member and co-founder quote, the right of of the individual to engage in any form of sex behavior. Now you'll notice this as we start to make a turn towards Kinsey and and, and, and this movement, you'll notice they always use the word individual or sexual being. They never use the term human or child or person. It's always the term individual or sexual being. And so Rubin would write and advise teachers to quote, accept their acceptance of truth as a core value would imply that the effect of all sex practices would be described in the classroom as objectively and scientifically as possible, whether or not the results conformed to the official mores or to a particular social code. Uh, And then Mary Calderon would write in 66, she would say, we should teach our children that this force of sexuality can and must be integrated into the total personality of the individual. (laughs) <laughs> and that people must learn to manage it and use it creatively and constructively in relationship with one another as men and women. The best program I know for doing this is the one I helped formulate for Sikkis. She wrote that in the Philadelphia Inquirer magazine on January second, nineteen sixty six. So that th- th- we can start, if you want. I don't. We're probably done with time, but that that would be where we would turn towards the language and the relationships with the Kinsey Institute or the Institute for Sex Research and their relationship- Steph, you the you're the so brilliant.
1: I so. feel like we could sit with you for hours and hours and days and days. Um, and we were going to wrap <laughs> up here in the next few minutes. Carrie, if you have to jump off, feel free to jump off. Um, but I had two more questions that I just want to loop back on with where we started in all of this. Mm-hmm. But you, you talked about the framing, that yeah. the, there, there's too much to overlook and just say, oh, it must have just, it just ironically fit together, you know, <laughs> Alfred Kinsey, John Money, Hugh Hefner, mm-hmm, Margaret right. Sanger, Mary Calderon, it just happened to all fit really well. You were like no that shows the intentionality before the design right. so my question i have two questions um and the first one yeah. that i want to ask you is if there was intentionality in the design before that first frame was laid what was the end goal mm-hmm. what was yes. it yes Favorite?
2: yes come on steph <laughs> come that's on bad. my question too <laughs> that's everybody's question on the feet on the line. well
0: no i mean i th- i think actually I, I actually no i think i already teased it actually um and that that's why the american humanist association says that they exist yes. Um, for the eradication of God from the universe and this is why the phrase that I'm most popular for saying that people love to quote the most and I think I think uh, I heard someone else say it originally actually but mm. that the culture war was always a proxy war mm. for a deeper spiritual war right the enemy of our souls doesn't stop his agenda at the line of politics, like Rick Warren and Ed Spencer all think so like oh I guess I can't go any further I, I brushed up against the line of politics Oh, I'm Satan. I can't violate yes. the Johnson Amendment. Yes, What the Come hell are you on. talking about? No, Satan's happy to work through any institution or organization to upend society, to break it all down. Because as one demon named Baphomet would say, solve coagula, which in Latin means to break everything down so you can remake or rebuild it. There's a famous demon named uh, Baphomet who looks like a transgender pig. And so it has like a pig head and it horns because every child sacrifice mm-hmm. God in all of human history has always had horns. It looks like a bull. And then he has boobs. And then he has very masculine looking arms and legs. So you got the transgender appearance, uh, right? And then, and then you've got the animal thing, right? Because as, as Chesterton would say, wherever there is mm-hmm. animal worship, there will be human sacrifice. There you go. Um, and on, written on the arms of this famous demon are the, are the, are the words solve coagula, which means to break everything down. So that you can remake it. Um, That literally could not better describe the entire secular moral revolution and all of their high priests and pontiffs. So when they say that God doesn't exist, but they also want to eradicate God from the universe, maybe you should start scratching Mm. your head and going, maybe the Bible was right when it said eternity is written on the heart of man and God's rain falls on the just and the unjust. And we all freaking know there's a God. Because only a PhD Yale University professor could be so stupid as to say that a gorgeous painting or building screams a creator but the very nature of human beings doesn't you have to have your head so far up your own (laughs) rectum it's coming out your face again to say things like that only liberalism can do that to the brain only leftism humanism neo-malthusianism and darwinism can do that to the brain and so the american humanist association is one of the last pieces of this puzzle that we'll get to another time because all of these people were a part of had spawned out of or had shared funding of the American Humanist Association. And so I'll end with this. A special committee to investigate tax exempt uh, foundations appointed by the 83rd Congress made an exhaustive investigation into Mm. the Institute for Mm -hmm. Sex Research while Kinsey was still its executive director. And here's what they concluded, quote, the foundation supported Kinsey reports had been deliberately designed as an assault on the Judeo-Christian morality. Guys, that was decades and decades and decades ago, a special committee to investigate tax exempt foundations appointed by the 83rd Congress going, holy moly, this couldn't be more obvious. You just want to get rid of God or anything that resembles an objective moral framework and universe to which we're all beholden and to which we will be accountable. All of this was a proxy war attack against Christianity the entire time. And I have a new talk I'm working on right now it's probably two hours long if I were to get through all of the notes, That I got to decide the best venue to give that in because most people can't sit that long. And, and we're going to expose another two hours of this stuff because once you yep. start seeing the intentional design of our current culture of death, yep. we find it impossible to believe that Franklin and Roger and Stephen and James did not all understand mm-hmm. one another From the beginning and we're not working upon a common blueprint or plan drawn up so So here's my my final
1: question and then carrie you can like shoot your my last question with all this seth is and you played into it perfectly is the end goal was always the destruction of the christian god the god the king of kings it was to destroy what america was built on to take territory that was claimed and to um, to inject the demonic back into what um, had been claimed as Christian in lar- by and large. Um, so knowing that that was the end goal, right. that you know, you look back at like the little the books that our kids uh, in early America were using in their schoolhouses. It was catechism. <laughs> it was Bible. That's what our kids were learning. And we very methodically picked oh, God, that. the Christian God, out. We took yep. out the Ten Commandments, we took out prayer, we took that's out right. the catechism, um, and as we did that, there was a vacuum, and mm-hmm. we started filling it with all the junk of psychus, which we now know is fully rooted in the demonic. It's rooted in Ishtar, it's rooted in Baal, yes. it's yes. rooted in Baphomet, yes. and so we see that. My cre- question, and I think this is yeah. so important, and I hope if you're listening and you have a friend that's a pastor or your pastor, yes. you share this, is twofold. What were the churches doing? Thank you. And what can the churches do now? Because yes. if this truly was the Trojan horse proxy war, it was a Trojan horse full of demons on, that came over to America. Tell me what the churches were doing <laughs> at the time and what can the churches do now? Yes. And I'll hold back.
0: I knew this would be a problem. I, I, I knew this would be a problem. We're already, I got so much to say, but. um, uh, we're going to have I you guys mean. on the podcast soon. And uh, so just to tease that for people, we're going to we're gonna take a deep dive and we're going to talk about the, the strange providential naming mm. of people like Wiener. Why is his name Wiener? Why does his name Hi. have to be Wiener? Why does the dude behind all of the pornographic kooky abortion yeah. sex set in California, one of the most sexual degenerate yeah. little pieces of human uh-huh, poop behind all of the stuff happening in California, why does his last name have to be Wiener? Maybe maybe sometimes providence mm, yes. is when God winks. Um, all nature is but art unknown to thee. All chance direction which thou canst not see, uh, to quote Alexander Pope. Uh, all chance direction which thou canst not see. Maybe it's direction that that guy's freaking name is Wiener. And I'm gonna ask you guys about that when you come onto my podcast. Why is it that, that, that the, the freaking Polish Nazi child rapist, why yeah. is his last name Baljusak? Yeah. Why? Why is his last name ball you sack It sounds like Ball and Sack. And he was giving children yeah, the right, yeah. the option between him or the gas chambers. Yeah. And then he sent his yeah. data on raping children to Kinsey. Okay, anyway, I'm getting carried away. But um, so, so great yeah. question. Yeah. What were the church doing? What the hell is going on? Um, the American, uh, the, the Johnson Amendment was passed mm-hmm. in, in 1954, yeah. right? So this is where we get this idea of the mm-hmm. separation of church and state. The Johnson Amendment, right, which, which, uh, which said that like, oh, you churches, you're not allowed to uh, to um, endorse candidates. You're not allowed to tell people how to vote. The Johnson mm-hmm. Amendment, which was explicitly yes. used to remove the Bible and prayer from schools in America. Okay, now I'm going to answer Brittany's question. Within four years of the Johnson Amendment being passed, go, go fact check me Reuters, 10 Pinocchios, and all this, guys. 1954 is the Johnson Amendment. Four years later, in 1958, the American Humanist Association Draft an action plan. An action plan on how to send their high priests and pontiffs and lackeys. Someone just said wrong. Okay, well, well, you can go fact check. It. It's 1954. That was the Johnson moment. Um, they they go send their lackeys in this action plan on how to identify, find, and expose any Christians in schools <laughs> that were praying. Holding any type of worship or religious services, or had prayer in the schools, the American Humanist uh-huh. Association guys was so dogmatic mm-hmm. and committed to their faith that they weren't waiting for an example to arise of like a teacher who was found praying before school. They drafted an action plan within four years of the Johnson Amendment to say, "Hunt, search, destroy. Right, go find any examples of this type of Christian activity happening in the schools, and then quote. Ready for this? To to to, to what? To quote." Challenge its constitutionality. Look how dogmatic and committed they were to their religion within four Mm -hmm. years of the political ticket they needed, the Johnson Amendment, giving them the power to be able to, to, to put under church discipline of the Church of Humanism, to put under church discipline anyone who dared talk about Christianity. And yet when Sikis was founded in their Articles of Incorporation, which I've read, they say in their Articles of Incorporation that Sikis exists for, and they say like political, social reasons and stuff. But the first one they say is wow. for religious reasons, to which we have to wow. add The religion, right? mm-hmm. The religion of humanism. These people yes. have been religious the entire time they've known it the entire time so the question is not will there be a dominant m- religion or morality mm-hmm. the question is whose and so what was yes. the church doing they were asleep. yes they were living under the spell of the johnson amendment they were like lot and they would only speak mm-hmm. as much truth as the spirit of the age allowed them lest they lost their 501c3 statuses so they give up the posterity of sexual moral revolution and their sexual yeah. degenerate Pedophilic demons Mm -hmm. so that they could preach the gospel that children born unborn and yet to be born became a sacrificial lamb on church's 501c3 statuses and ability to say true things and say yep. our message because we don't want to compromise our message. And so I'll finish with this. R.J. Rushdoony, the father of the modern homeschool movement. R.J. Rushdoony put this better than anyone else. And oh, if the freaking church would have listened to R.J. Rushdoony voices and Chesterton voices. Mm. He said, dominion, that's the answer. Yes, no, Churches were not exercising mm. dominion, but the church, of, the church of humanism was. Here's what he says. Um, dominion does not disappear. When a man renounces it, it is simply transferred wow. to another person, perhaps to his wife, children, employer, or the state, where the individual surrenders his due dominion, where the family abdicates it and the worker and employer reduce it. There, another party, usually the state, concentrates that dominion, where organized society surrenders power. Mm. The mob mob gains it proportionate to the surrender to the degree that we abdicate is the same degree that the enemy takes that ground because we were under the spell of the Johnson amendment and we wanted our blue Instagram and Twitter verified check marks. We wanted a place at the table. We wanted Christianity to be respectable. We wanted to eat crumbs that were tossed to us from the worldly leaders.
2: I got chills.
0: Yeah, that's There you
2: (laughs) so my question is Seth, what do people do if they're going to a church that does not speak out against evil?
0: Graciously challenge your pastor and ask to meet with him. And then if he repeatedly refuses to take these things seriously, if he refuses Uh to preach the full counsel of God, if he refuses to explain to the bride of Christ how the full counsel of God means that Christ's life, death, and resurrection, the former fetus who entered human history in a uterus and Mm -hmm. predicted and pulled off his own resurrection, if that doesn't have anything to say to the cultural issues of the day, if that freaking event doesn't mean anything to how you understand your time and space that you live in. If the greatest former fetus who have ever existed, who predicted and pulled off his own resurrection, doesn't give you lenses through which to see and understand the world, then that pastor is is subtly and subconsciously communicating to his congregation that Christianity is not big enough for your questions. Christ can't handle your questions. He is not large enough. To provide the kind of spiritual and political clarity that you're looking for, go find that answer from another faith and they will. And you will send those young people in particular who are so confused in this sexualized mob of a culture into the arms of the religion of humanism to find clarity on issues that you as the shepherd refuse to bring. So if your pastor is not going to begin taking these things seriously, they're a waste of time. They've abdicated their pulpit and they need yes. to step down. They're a waste of time, Come they're on, a waste Seth. of ministry and they're a waste of the tithing that people have given to advance the kingdom of God. But do it graciously, do it kindly, do it respectfully. Try two or three times. And if nothing happens, shake the Come dust on Seth. Off Thank you so much. Master. Well, I don't
1: know if we can top that yeah. ending. I this crying. We're out. <laughs> oh how can people find you and then we'll finish it out with um carrie's question and then you can close this out seth and we can let you go
0: okay no you, you guys are so kind you guys are warriors and i think it's providential that that yes, we've all been going God. down this rabbit hole kind of at the same time and so i i fully expect the white rose resistance to be partnering with and doing some type of work we agree with the battle cry at some point because yeah think, we do I think we're cut from the same cloth and i think that i think that that the i think that um that the lead that the the secular progressive moral revolutionary pedophilic sexual deviants will start manifesting Mm -hmm. their inner transgender legions um if our organizations team up and start pushing back um and then you can connect with me at thewhiterose.life www.thewhiterose.life um, and my Instagram is just Seth Gruber official or the white rose dot life. We're rebuilding the anti Nazi Christian resistance movement called the white rose resistance for this generation against our silent but far more deadly holocaust of abortion to build the army of Christian resistance to the culture of death that they dreamed of but never saw realized. Because these people have always understood that the church was the greatest threat to their political regime. They knew that, it was only the Christians Mm -hmm. that seemingly did not know that. And so it's time for us to adopt that mantle, to be involved, to push back, to be stewards of what God has given us. That's what we're building. If you wanna get involved with that, um, we're gonna be spicy Elijah mocking the spirit of Baal cultural revolutionaries um, who are trying to put ourselves out of a job. So, our children and grandchildren are not fighting this battle. And you guys believe the same things. That's why I'll always come on any kind of event or live with you guys. I'm thank so you. grateful for your courage as, as mama bears <laughs> or papa bears. I'm sorry, I probably oh, gender there. We are. I, I all in, dust in dust and ashes. Um, <laughs> well, thank you guys for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Carrie Bowler, Brittany Mayer, and Melissa O'Connor. Please share that. And we have some more uh, conversations with the battle cry coming here in the near future. Uh, these are just moms who s- went down the rabbit hole and have never been the same ever since. And we need other godly men and women to go down the rabbit hole and start learning how we got here so they can lead their families, their churches, and our culture back onto the right track by contending for the truth in the public square within our political regime and form of government which says you the people need to exercise stewardship for the direction of the country. But that starts with information and knowledge to stand in a kooky culture of death like we're in today. If you want to um, share this episode, go to YouTube, get subscribed, go to iTunes, Spotify, give us a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people. We appreciate it. If you want to connect with the White Rose Resistance and become an ally and get equipped as we're hiring and growing to begin mobilizing the church at the local level to push back, go to thewhiterose.life, www.thewhiterose.life. Thank you so much. Until next time, I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. (laughs) We'll <laughs> <laughs>